All right, thanks, Don. Yeah, for those of you that don't, that don't know me, Charlie Vitus, and I'm filling in, obviously, for Pastor Ron. Pastor Ron and Susan are away We're, uh, for their anniversary, so they're getting some much-needed time away, and I want to just thank them for the opportunity to share God's Word with you this morning. Don was also referring to VBA, and it was really, I mean, for those, how many of you were involved in VBA in some way, shape, or form? Uh, outstanding, outstanding. I mean, it's, it's really a great thing what we do, and um, I, I don't, you know, I was talking with Pastor Ron after we wrapped up, um, you know, a week ago, and just thinking about the impact that we make on these kids' lives, and, and all the things that, that are involved. Everybody, there's not one volunteer who didn't have some impact, some part to play in that, and you may not see it. Um, in the kids that week, and maybe it's going to be two years from now, ten years from now, that there's an impact that we've made in these kids' lives. So it really is um, uh, something that you know we shouldn't take lightly. What we're doing, I, I don't, I, I have never seen a church you know of this size that has this that many children. I think it was like 673 kids um, in New England. I mean, there are churches, there are mega churches that have that many kids. But a church of this size to draw in almost 700 children, impact them for Christ, is truly a, a thing of God. And, and each of you has been God's hands and feet for that. So that's amazing. We're, we're almost like we're not a mega church, but we have a mega VBA. And it's, it's, it's and, you know, to, to, to all of you that helped and to all of you that prayed and to God be the glory. It's an awesome thing that we're doing. And uh, it's, a great, it's a great outreach. And so there were, uh, Pastor Ron gave some numbers. One of them was like 215 kids that prayed to receive Christ. And those are the ones that we know of. Yeah, outstanding. That, that is really what it's all about. And um, even Judah, who was here you know, previously, and he was in charge of a super church for a long time, he uh, quoted a pastor that said, it's a lot easier to create children or influence children for Christ than, when they're young than it is to repair adults. And there's a lot to be said for that. You know? There's a lot to be said for, for you know, everybody, each one of us, especially if we're followers of Christ, we're kind of going down a road, and we have choices to make. And mo many of us made a choice to follow after Christ. And the, the sooner we can help those kids with that decision, the less problems they're going to have, the less baggage they're going to have. Is their life going to be all fixed? Absolutely not. Ours isn't. I'll, or I'll speak for myself, mine isn't. But we're on the right path. And I think that's all what we're all about with VBA and, and with every Sunday service is helping people get on the right path, stay on the right path. So um, keep praying for those kids because uh, the seeds have been planted, but um, the struggles will still be coming for them. So we want them to uh, stay the course. So um, kind of a back up a few weeks when Pastor Ron was teaching. This week's teaching as well is who cares? And Pastor Ron started off explaining to us about how God cares and how much he cares. And um, you can't understate that. You know, we had a, a God that sent his son to die for us. And, and his son was not guilty. We were guilty. He took our sin. So no small feat, you know, for what God did. And then later on, Pastor Ron was talking about who cares we do. And if we're followers of Christ, we do or we should. And, and that's kind of what I want to talk about today. In fact, I want to break it down a little bit more and say who cares? I do. And, or I should. And, and a lot of what I was reading and studying about this week it was more convicting for me. So don't feel like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to understand what you're going through. I'm just trying to share with you how God spoke to me about when it comes time to caring, I should be caring. That's a, that's a, a, a directive that we get right from God's word. So let's start off by talking about 
um, one of the commands that God gave us, and it's found in John chapter 13, verse 34. It says, a new command I give you. Now, wh why would he give us a new command about love? Well, you have to understand where the people were that he was talking to. The people that he was talking to had Old Testament teaching. Old Testament teaching said, if somebody slaps you, you slap them back. And there's actually a verse in the Bible that says, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. So basically, you retaliate. Somebody hurts you, you go back and hurt them. So Jesus is coming and saying, throwing that stuff out the window. Here's a new command I have for you. And so uh, in, again, in John chapter 13, it says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my, dis my disciples if you love one another. And uh, what, you know, this love that he's talking about is not liking somebody on Facebook or saying that you love your family because they love you right back. He's saying, as I have loved you, so love one another. How did he love us? Sacrificial love. It cost him something. It cost him his life. So we have to understand that he's, you know, everybody likes to hear that God is love, and God is love, and God is forgiving, and all that. But there's a side of that love, there's a, there's a, a sacrificial kind of love that God is calling us to, and it's different than what the world understands as love. And that's where we should stand apart. So let's break it down. God's calling us um, to love him, and, and we do that by worshiping him and by obeying him. So how do we obey God? Well, just like he told us in this verse, a big part of that is to love one another. And he gave us an example um, of a story in Luke chapter 10. And many of you know it, maybe because you didn't even read it, but just because you heard it. Our society knows about the Good Samaritan. In fact, you know, I was on the highway a while ago, and I said, there was a Good Samaritan van. So it may not even be Christians, just people that understand the concept of stopping to help others. In fact, I, um, I was talking with somebody about um, trying to help somebody. If you're in a restaurant, somebody's choking, and you do a Heimlich maneuver to help them, or somebody's in a car accident, you try to help them in any way that you can. If you help them and they still end up suffering harm from the accident or something like that, you, from what I understand, you're, not, uh, you're immune from... Um, any kind of lawsuit saying, oh, you, you, didn't, you didn't save his life right. Look what, you, you know, you did something wrong. Well, there's a good Samaritan law that protects you because we don't want, at least as a society, we don't want people to stop helping other people. So we're trying to protect them and say, go ahead and help. Do the best you can. And so even in a, a secular world, we, <clears throat> we understand the importance of helping one another. So here's, here's the story that Jesus told. And uh, I want to go through it because I think there's some things that are important for us to understand in the story of the Good Samaritan. Beginning in verse 25, it says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going from Jericho to Jerusalem when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and he saw the man. He passed by on the other side. 
So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was and saw him. He took pity on him. Again, part of this understanding what God is saying here is the first step is he had pity on him. I mean, there's, a, there's something that put, God, God put inside of us, compassion towards other people. And I think we do our best to silence that. Or, in a lot of cases, we're too busy to feel that, to hear that. We just kind of just keep on going. And God is speaking to us on, in, in this. And he's saying the first step is to, to have compassion, to have pity. So he went and bandaged his wounds, pouring on, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I re return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have had. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And, and the same could be said for us. You know, which of the three do we think we are? Where do we fit in in this story? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And so sometimes it's hard for us to hear these stories, these parables, because it's like, well, I haven't been on the road to, from Jerusalem to Jericho lately, so this obviously doesn't apply to me. But it does. And, you know, the, the names of the road change, and it's not just being on the road. It's about all types of situations. Um, so I thought, okay, how does that, in today's world, how does that relate? So we can bring this home more. So the priest walks by on the other side. Modern-day equivalent to that would be, say, the pastor. A Levite does the same. That would be like uh, a temple worker or even just um, like a Christian today. So pro probably all of us. And then the Good Samaritan. And the Good Samaritan not only cares for his immediate needs, but he leaves money in, you know, for his recovery time. And as I thought about this, it's hard for us to think about, um, like, you know, the Samaritan was actually helping out an enemy. The Samaritans didn't get along with a lot of other people. It's hard for us to look at some modern-day translation to who our enemy is, because, well, certainly in America, we shouldn't have any enemies. But maybe it's better to look at the world picture and say, like, the Israelis and the Arabs, or the um, ISIS. ISIS and anybody that is not ISIS, you know, the, the, is, is an enemy to ISIS. They want to, you know, destroy something that doesn't believe like they do. So you, you can understand that trying to love someone like that is a lot different than trying to love your brother, your father, your mother, all those, you know, people that are, love you back. Jesus is telling us to, to love our enemies, too, and that's, that's the really hard part. That's what separates us from the rest of the world. We're not just to love those who love us, love us, but the people that aren't, the unfriendlies, the people that, um, that, that we feel uncomfortable near. And, and I think that's what God wants us to do, is get outside our comfort zone to really help those people. So, again, to continue on with this Good Samaritan story, think of it like this. I'm driving on the road, and I'm going to northern Maine. You know, northern Maine could be like 10 hours. And I've driven, I left it six o'clock at night and it's after midnight and I'm up in Maine out in the sticks. I mean, there's nothing up there. It's just trees. And so I'm driving down the highway and I see something off the side of the road and it's like the taillights of a car that went down the embankment. And so 
I, I get out of my car and I look and it looks like somebody has actually gone off the interstate, crashed into a tree down this embankment. Well, so I pull out my phone and I call 911 and well, there's no cell service. There's nobody else around. I mean, it's like dark everywhere. So I'm gonna go down there and try to help this guy and I get there and there's a guy and he's got a broken leg. So I try to help him out and I say, hey buddy, you got, you know, you got any friends, family nearby? And he's like, eh, I'm from the West Coast. I don't even know anybody around here. And I was like, all right, let me see what I can do to help you out. So I'll spend some time trying to bandage up if I can or stop the bleeding and, and get him so that I can get him to a hospital. So this takes time, you know, and now he's down an embankment. He can't walk, so I'm trying to half carry him, half drag him back up to my car. You know, again, it might take, it might take me an hour or two to get this guy to a hospital. And th these are the kind of things that, you know, he's kind of telling in this story. And then I go to the hospital, and again, the guy's got nobody around here that can, that, you know, that can be there for him, no friends or family. So I hang around, and it takes five or six hours at the hospital. So he gets done, and he, he does, now he's done. The doctors are done with him. They kind of patched him up, but he has no car. He has nobody there. So I was like, okay, fine, I'll, I'll take you to a hotel. And so I bring him to a Holiday Inn, and I say, okay, I'll pay for three or four nights. That's like, you know, nowadays that's like four or 500 bucks. You know, would I do that? Would you do that? These are the kind of sacrifices this guy made. It was no small thing. And so then I say, okay, I, I paid for the hotel, and now I'm finishing on my trip. I go up to northern Maine, visit maybe some family up there, and then on the way back, I check in on him, see how he's doing, and by now he's, he's made some arrangements. You know, some of his family's gonna fly out to help him and stuff like that. But just to, to put the Samaritan story in modern day terms, how many of us would be willing to make a time commitment like that to make a financial commitment like that to somebody that we don't even know. This is, these are Jesus' words. These are my words to, to tell us, are we ready to help strangers like that? More importantly, are we ready to help our enemies like that? And I guess another way to say it is, are we willing to help when it really costs us something? You know, I, you know we, we support one of the children in uh, Cora right now, and. Sometimes it's writing a check, and it's, does, does, it, 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 it's, it, it's like the story that Jesus told about the, the um, people that were giving outside the temple. He was with his disciples, and people are coming up, putting stuff in like the collection basket, and you know, some people are you know, dropping in tons of, of coins and money and everything, like, and, and then a little old lady comes up and puts in two mites. It's like half a penny. And he said, she gave... You know, he, he said, they gave, everyone else gave out of their excess, out of their surplus. She gave everything that she had. And so he was talking about commitment. He's talking about us giving when it hurts. And that's about sacrificial love. So I want you to hear my heart on this because, again, this is, this is sometimes a tough message that God has for us, but he really had it for me. These are the things that, that I was hearing from God, things that I need to do differently, things that... God wants me to um, open my eyes more to see the hurts. And then when I see the hurts, to allow compassion to work and, and help me to do something about it. So it really is getting outside our comfort zone. And um, no one likes to hear that, but that's really the definition of a Christian. Getting outside our comfort zone and seeing the hurts and doing something about it. You know, now, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And when I say that, there was, there was a part of what I did and there was a part of what he did. 
Well, he did 99.9%. He did the dying on the cross. He took my sins away. He did the forgiveness thing. He laid down his life for me, for Charlie Vitus. I did the 1%. I said yes to him. And so that's what, that's what it took to make Jesus my Savior. Now, to make Jesus my Lord, that's a little bit more work. And that's what he's talking about. That's what he's talking about, living my life. And he wants us, as Christians, we've got a job for evangelism, for feeding the hungry, for helping the homeless, for providing for widows and orphans, for meeting the needs of people around us and for people around the world. So we, we've, you know, as, as followers of Christ, we have freedom in what God bought for us the price that he paid for us. And there's a verse that I would like to share with you from Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 and 14. It says, you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. So, God is, is, again, telling us, we have, just like we talked about a, a fork in the road, there's a decision you can make every day about what you do with, with what God has paid for, for you. You have that freedom. You can use the freedom that you have to say, I can do whatever I want. I can spend time doing everything for, for myself and spend all my time, energy, and resources on myself. Or I could step outside self-centered and move toward other-centered. And that's what God is calling us to do. And, and if you don't recognize it every day, then by, by, by default, you know, that's who we are. We, have a, we, have a, we're, we still have a sin nature that we need to die to every day. By default, if you don't recognize it, you will fall back to self. And so this Bible, this Bible verse is warning us that you have a choice there. Don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. So instead, help others. God's given us the freedom. And again, <laughs> free choice, you know, God gave us free will. And it seems like every time God does that for us, we get in trouble. You know, from the very beginning, Adam and Eve had free, free will. And, 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 and that's the way God wanted it. God didn't want, you know, robots to just, you know, follow him blindly, and they are forced to follow God. Everybody has choice. So if you choose to follow God, it's because in your heart you love God, and that's what you want to do. Um, same thing here. Um, we have free will, and God, you know, by God's grace, you can um, choose the, the, the way that, that puts others first and love your neighbor as yourself. So we got a video a little bit uh, that's going to kind of get into that a little bit more. Let's um, roll that.
There's a <clears throat> Christian author that I was reading uh, about the other day. His name is Eric Metaxas. <clears throat> and he was being interviewed about this country. And his father led, uh, fled communism in Greece, and his mother fled communism in East Germany. Both came to America um, to get away from a lot of that and to get real freedom. <clears throat> so when he was asked about America and understanding where, you know, where his parents came from, he said of America, this is genuinely the greatest nation in the history of the world. What makes it great is that we don't exist for ourselves. We have this fundamentally biblical idea that we exist for others. Now again, this is just one guy and it's his opinion about what America is, but I really like what he says. He says, what makes it great is that we don't exist for ourselves. I think what he's saying is, because we have biblical principles that we live by, we're unlike most nations on the face of the earth, in that we have a, a God that's showing us how to love others first. And so if, if that's part of what made America great, that's part of what still makes America great, is that we exist for others. You know, and that includes us serving others and helping others. And, um, and, and maybe we did that more so you know, as, as, as the country was started in diff, you know, a little bit differently. But I was thinking about what led him to say those things and how did we get to be that kind of a country? And if you go back, and again, I, I enjoy history. I enjoy reading about God's fingerprints all over the history of our country. And I think about all the way back to when our, our country began, kind of like the, when the pilgrims came here to, to America. Now, the pilgrims were a group of people that wanted to worship God freely. And they lived in England, and the king in England said, no, you've got to worship God in the Anglican church. This is the way you worship God. And they didn't have the freedom they wanted. So part of them stayed there and tried to um, change the church from within, and part of them left. There were the uh, Puritans who tried to purify. Then there were the separatists that said, we need to live separately. And one group went to Holland and said, oh, we can't live in England and worship freely. Let's go to Holland. And they had some freedom to worship. But what they were finding out was as their kids were growing up, their kids were being influenced too much by the outside world. And so they're like, well, this isn't working either. So they said, all right, we've heard about this country, you know, this, this new world. Let's go there and we can worship freely. It, it, but it wasn't like they got in a car and drove, you know, 15 minutes and got here. They, what, what they were saying was, if we take this, if we get on a ship, and, and I don't know, it takes two or three months, I think it took for them to get here, and about half of them died on the way here. And they knew that. They knew that this was a perilous journey just to get here. And then once you get here, your, your likelihood of survival is still about 60%. So they knew what was ahead of them. And they said, listen, we want to worship God freely to the point we're willing to die for that. Now, think about that. That's, that, that had to make God delight in, in what these people were thinking and what they were willing to go through. If, if you left this morning to come to church and somebody told you, listen, if you're heading to church this morning, you got a 50% chance you're going to live. How many of you would have just stayed in bed? Yeah. So put it in perspective. Understand what the sacrifices were these people were willing to make to put God first in their lives. Not only in their lives, they were willing to sacrifice their lives if that's what it took to worship God freely. That just blows me away. I don't understand how... how People could be like that, but, but it makes me, you know, they're my idols. They're my heroes that, because that's what it's all about. Forsaking all else and saying, God first, no matter what the cost is. So 
So they get on, on board the Mayflower and they're traveling. Now that we had Jamestown was a colony um, that was already settled in Virginia. So they're heading towards Virginia. They got blown off course by a storm. So they were north of there. They were around Plymouth, um, Massachusetts. And they didn't have enough supplies. So they get to America they got, and, they, and they, haven't found, they haven't gotten to Jamestown yet. And they don't know if they're 50 miles off course or 500 miles off course. There's no GPS. There's no maps. They don't know, you know where they're at. But they know there's land there. So they're like, okay, we ran out of supplies on the ship. Let's go ashore and um, see what we can do here. However, they said, listen, we're, if we go ashore, there's no people there, there's no nothing. It's a clean slate. So we can do whatever we want. And we have no king to rule us. We have no people that are going to you know, rule us. We're our own boss, so to speak. And almost like Galatians, we were just you know, seeing about that freedom. They had that kind of freedom, and they had to make a choice. We're going to follow our sinful nature and keep doing the self things, or are we going to put God first? Well, don't take my word for it by what their actions are. They, they said, okay, let's, let's come to an agreement before we leave this ship about what we're going to do. So they wrote it down, the Mayflower Compact, and I'll just, this is just an excerpt from it. It says, in the name of God, we, whose names are underwritten, having undertaken for the glory of God and for the advancement of the Christian faith, and honor of our king and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia, again, they thought they were in Virginia, do by these presents, solemnly and mutually, in the presence of God and one another, covenant and combine ourselves together. So this is basically a mission statement. They're saying, this is the reason we're here. Two things, bring glory to God and advancement of the Christian faith. So. Again, I don't, I, don't, I don't think these guys were intellectual geniuses. I think these were people that uh, sought out God and he blessed them with wisdom to, to know what to do and to put God first. And um, that's not to say they didn't have more hard times. That doesn't say that once you make a decision to follow God and put him first, everything is going smooth. And many of you know that. But, it, but God will never leave us or forsake us. So there's nothing that God can't handle if we trust him. So there's a lot of humility here about them getting off the ship and saying, we're not on the throne, God is on the throne. We're not going to go with pride, we're going to go with humility. And um, that set the stage for, for what um, was going to happen in this country. And I was thinking about the, you know, some of the things that would bring humility to all of us. And, and um, again, especially maybe guys more so than girls. You know, guys are more lean on the pride side. We want to, you know, be there and be the, the strong ones, and especially as fathers, providers, and stuff like that. So I learned humility, you know, once I got married. I was, you know, um, when, when you um, are single, you still have the mindset like, hey, what do I do? Take care of number one, those kind of things. And, and it's not to say as a Christian, you're, it's not different. But when you do it every day, when you're married every day, now you've got a, a, a spouse that you're, um, especially as a husband, providing for, looking out for, thinking about somebody else besides yourself. God has a way of using that, if you'll allow him to, to humble you and make you more of a servant. Well, I was a slow learner, so God said, all right, we'll give you some children. <laughs> so, so you can learn more about humility and serving others. So I learned a little bit with my, you know, my first son and then my second son. And by the time I got to seven, I think God said, all right, you, you, you're getting this. 
<laughs> but, but some of the things I did and I learned as, as being a, a, a father is like, okay, I understand that you know, being, raising children is a lot of work. And we had, um, for our, six, our first six children, we, uh, we made a decision to use cloth diapers. So, that's a, and, and some of you younger people are like, was, he, was this during the Great Depression? And <laughs> it, it wasn't. It wasn't. It was just a decision that we made because, number one, with seven kids and one income, there wasn't a lot of money for you know, disposable diapers. So, and we thought it was you know, healthier for the kids with, with that. So it was a decision we made, and, I, and it wasn't like, oh, I told my wife, okay, this is what we're going to do. Go take care of that. I was there to, to change diapers you know, through all, for all seven kids. And part of the dirty diapers thing is we had two buckets when you changed diapers. One was for the wet ones, and one was for the wet ones plus something else. <laughs> and, and so those bu that bucket was full of water so that those things could soak for a while when you had a whole batch, then bring them. And so again, I told my wife, I said, I'll take care of that. I'll take care of the dirty diapers that have been fermenting for a week. <laughs> so, so I did that. I would bring the diapers down to, you know, to wash them and stuff like that. And it was servanthood. I mean, that wasn't a fun job. I mean, it's, it's kind of like washing toilets and stuff like that. There's things we need to do that you, you know, we have a choice to walk away from and try to let somebody else do it, or we say, listen, I'm going to learn humility and servanthood because God has given me this opportunity. And another thing I did with our kids, you know, as they were growing up was I, I, I told, uh, you know, Patty, I'll take care of breakfast on weekends. So every weekend, Saturdays and Sundays, I'd make these big breakfasts for the kids, you know, waffles and omelets and sausages and stuff like that, and, and they loved it. In fact, you know, coming to church here would be like, if we were going to come to the 9 o'clock, it would start around 7 o'clock. You know, get up early, shower, and start making breakfast for everybody, get everybody ready. It was, you know, to get nine of us here on time was a, was a big thing. But it was family time, you know, as we were all eating together on the weekends. And, um, you know, we did a lot of that. We recognized the importance of family time. But, but I say those things to say that I learned humility, and, um, and also almost by saying that, I just lost it. <laughs> because uh, there was a... It was a Ben Franklin had a list of virtues that he wrote down. And he was obviously another wise, guy, wise man. He said, uh, you know, things about some of his virtues were saving, you know, the whole penny, penny saved, penny earned, and um, about wise use of your time. He was very, very uh, meticulous with his time. He didn't want to waste a minute. It was very, and then, so he wrote a list of uh, 10 things that he thought were important virtues. And each day he would have a, like a notebook and he would keep track. Hey, I did pretty good. I wasn't gluttonous. I didn't eat too much food. You know, that was one of his things. And when he got to the 11th thing that he wrote on his list, he wrote down humility. And he said, how do I do that? And he wrote down, imitate Socrates and Jesus. So those were like his, 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 uh, his examples of humility. But then he said, as soon as he would check that off, yep, got humility today. He's like, oh, I just lost it. Because once you, rec once you say you have it, you don't have it. So it's kind of an ironic thing. But anyways, um, I think that's what God wants from us is humility and servanthood. Um, I think he wants us to continue to um, allow your circumstances to shape you and choose things that are going to make you more like Christ. So back to our nation. Um, I think what the pilgrims did was, was awesome. And I think, I think what happened was, and it's just, just the Charlie Veitch's uh, summary in two sentences about what happened to our country is <clears throat> they honored God and God, you know, as a nation, God blessed us <clears throat> and brought prosperity to our country. 
blessings, you know, such that, you, you know, if you look back at, at, at our history, we were blessed so much. There were so many things that, again, there were struggles, but the blessings came. And I think over time, what happened was, instead of worshiping God who provided the blessings, they started worshiping the blessings. And, and I think the same could be said of us as a country today. We are so much seeking after the blessings and not the provider of the blessings. So it's important not to lose sight of what God wants us to do. So, so, so now again, uh, back in the history part of it, since the pilgrims landed until the time of the Civil Wars, 243 years had passed. And uh, at that time, Abraham Lincoln was the president of the United States. Again, if you read Abraham Lincoln, He's uh, full of wisdom, and, and he's a godly man. And, and there's, early on in his life, he wasn't, he, you know, he wasn't so sure about his faith, but later on, it's clear about his relationship with God. And, and I think the wisdom that he has and the fact that he was a godly man is not a coincidence. I think godly man comes first, and then godly wisdom comes with that. And I think just like in the Bible, there was uh, Queen Esther, who was uh, one of the famous verses from that book is called, uh, it was, tells about her being there for such a time as this. And I think in the history of our country, Abraham Lincoln was a God-ordained um, person for such a time as this. We are at a time where we're fighting amongst ourselves, killing each other over differences. And again, there are different things that we, the Civil War was all about. Some of it was slavery. Some of it was states' rights. Um, th th those things are important, but, but what's really important is we, we couldn't agree and, and we fought, and, and sadly we fought and killed, you know, thousands of people died because we couldn't agree. And Abraham Lincoln, when he looks back on this, he was, and part of what I was, I was reading around that time was, he was um, saying, is this punishment from God? Because we've turned our back on God, and the Civil War is, is God pulling back his blessing. And so, again, what he says and what he did <clears throat> was, was um, turning back to God, humbling, our, humbling ourselves as a nation, asking everybody. What he basically did was he declared a day of prayer and fasting. He's like, God, uh, his, his, his proclamation is a, is, is a prayer in itself to God. But what he's saying, I think, to the people is, we got in a mess here. We're not going to get out of it ourselves. Let's turn back to the God who can. And so he asked the people to get on their faces before God and pray. And so I think he really... He's, he, in this pro, uh, proclamation, he really summarizes um, where we've been, where we're going, and how, and how we need to get out of it. Again, pray. So let me just read Abraham uh, Lincoln's words. He says, we have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. Again, remember I earlier talking about blessings. Are we getting, are we raising the bless, or worshiping the blessings or, or the giver of the blessings? We've been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has grown before. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. We have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. He says, we, 
almost like you know we we lost it. We we are um, deceived, thinking that the, all the blessings are because we're smart, because we're better people, because we're uh, I don't know whatever we think we are. We think we did it and not God. And he's trying to remind the people, you're missing the point, guys. You forgot. And he goes on to say, intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power, to confess our national sins, and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. Again, he, he says, humble ourselves before the offended power. That means God was offended. God was hurt by what we did as, as a nation, fighting amongst each other, killing each other, but more importantly, turning away from him. So Abraham Lincoln is calling us back to him. He goes on to say, now therefore, in compliance with the request and fully concurring in the views of the Senate, I do, by this proclamation, designate and set apart Thursday, the 30th day of April, 1863, as a, national, as a day of national humiliation, prayer, and fasting. And I do hereby request that all people to abstain on that day from their ordinary secular pursuits and to unite at their several places of public worship and respective homes and keeping the day holy to the Lord. So it's clear that God has given him insight into what's going on in our country, not only to understand it, but to know what to do next. And that's to humble ourselves as a nation, ask for God's forgiveness, recognize that we have offended him, and, and turn back to him for help. So uh, the reason I bring up all this is to talk about uh, our, our nation. So almost like that's an object lesson. We can understand and we can see where our nation has come and what's happened to them and what it took to get us as a nation back on track, humility and putting God first. And that's not our natural tendency. Our natural tendency is not to be uh, humble. It's not to be a servant. It's just the opposite. And, and that same pride that causes, that fights against, you know, there's a war going on every day. And, and if we don't surrender to God, if without God's grace, we can't win that war. We can't do it by ourselves. We can't do it in our own strength. Um, I mean, the whole story about Satan, Satan started out as an angel in heaven, you know, praising and worshiping God. And what caused him to fall from that position was pride. Pride is, pride is a very powerful thing. And it shows, it shows, too, that God didn't just say, hey, Satan, you know, Lucifer, you really messed up. You know, I'll forgive you and let's, you know, you know things will continue on as they were. This was serious. God took it seriously and cast him out of heaven. So recognize that um, that's a struggle that goes on within us. And it's not something that we um, are able to, to, um, to change easily. It's something that's, that's part of our sin nature that we got to die to every day. So we're going to need God's help to do what he calls us to do. And again, not in our own strength. It's, it, it usually fails when we try to do it in our own strength. So here's a list of some things I was... I, who cares? I do. So I need to step outside my comfort zone and, and help the unfriendlies, I'll call them. 
I must do more than write a check. I need to help hurting people all around me. And I need to encourage others and to be Christ to those around me. You know, each of us has a sphere of influence. There's people in your lives that you impact. There's people that you, in, in, in your lives that you, um, that you uh, <clears throat> are co-workers, neighbors, whatever, that you, um, that you have some relationship with, and, and some more so than others. And some of those um, smaller relationships are, are the, the close-knit family ones you share with other people. So you're like, okay, well, you know, if, if I know this per, you know, if I know my mother, then so does my brother. So, you know, we can help, we can, you know, he can help her out or something. So that you share spheres of influence. But there are other people that are in your sphere of influence that other Christians don't share. You might be the only Christian in their sphere of influence. So you've got a calling. And God is clear about that. He doesn't want you to, to uh, be passive in your walk as a Christian. He wants you to be active. Um, it's a hurting world out there. And we've got a mission from God. It's not something that um, we thought of. It's something he said, this is the way I built you. This is the way I wired you. You're all part of a body. You all do different things. You know, wh whatever I do to reach others it's not gonna, may not work for you. Um, and, and, and God made you differently. And in Romans um, I think it's chapter 12, there's a verse that says, God gave each of us the abilities to do certain things well. Each of us, certain abilities, each of us has some unique abilities. And God wants to use those. And um, to make the body complete, we all need to be doing our part. So here's some of the instruction that God gave us in 2 Timothy verse 4. I'm sorry, chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. God's directive to us says, preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and carry out the ministry God has given you. God has given you a ministry, each and every one of you. If you're a follower of Christ, he's given you a ministry. You know, some people say, well, ministry, that's, that's Pastor Ron and, and other pastors that are here at the church. That's their job. No, there's a difference. That, that's a vocational ministry. But God has given each of us a ministry, and that is a calling, uh, a job, um, uh, something that uh, we should be involved with um, every day of our lives, not just, not just when we're in church. Uh, Matthew 10, uh, chapter 40, goes on to say, we are intimately linked in this harvest work. Accepting someone's help is as good as giving someone help. This is a large work I've called you to, but don't be overwhelmed by it. It's best to start small. Give a cool cup of water to someone who is thirsty, for instance. The smallest act of giving or receiving makes you a true apprentice. You won't lose out on a thing. So again, I was talking about learning humility. God is telling us here about helping others and it uses the word apprentice. You know, who is apprentice? Somebody that starts to learn a trait or a skill by doing it over and over and over again. And sometimes there's other mentors involved. 
but that's how you learn how to change your, your self-centered nature and move to being other-centered is through small things and big things, but you start out small. Don't be overwhelmed by it. And, and I also want to point out that we're talking a lot about um, helping others and, and you know, another word for that would be good deeds. Don't misunderstand. Um, good deeds and, and helping others doesn't get you to heaven. You know, I just want to be clear that it's a, it's a uh, personal relationship with Jesus Christ and accepting the sacrifice that he made for us that grants us uh, passage into God's kingdom. That makes us a, a Christian. But then what God is saying is if you are a Christian, I've put this inside of you, this compassion, um, this, like the Good Samaritan had pity. He put those things inside of us because now that's the thing that he wants us to do. It's an, out, it's an outward sign of an inward thing that happened to us. And so God wants us to do those outward signs. And, and that's how um, more people will be brought into the kingdom. Um, it, sometimes God wants us to share something with somebody, but sometimes if we just come up there and say, hey, listen, I want to tell you all about God and what he, his plan for salvation, sometimes that, that's what God is prompting you to do. I get that. But sometimes God wants you to help somebody so that they're going to be more receptive to hear what you have to say. And um, there's an expression about leading people to Christ. It says, make a friend, be a friend, lead a friend to Christ. So Oftentimes, what God wants us to do is come alongside people. And sometimes we'll get a chance to share the gospel and, and maybe lead them to Christ. That'd be outstanding. That'd be awesome. But God also says there's different, uh, almost like stages, for people that are going to grow and get closer to God. And each of us, it says sometimes some of us um, plant the seed, some of us water the seed, but eventually it's God that brings the harvest. So do that small part, whatever it is. It could be planting seeds. You know, VBA was a good example of us planting seeds. And but other times, we need to water the seeds. Somebody needs encouragement. Somebody needs to come alongside them. Let me um, read a, a, an article I came across about a, a, a boy and his brother um, talking about helping somebody. This was the summer of 2015. And this was a 15-year-old boy named Hunter. It says, Hunter carried his brother, Brandon, who was eight years old, for a 57-mile walk to raise awareness of the needs of people with cerebral palsy. Brandon weighs 60 pounds, so Hunter frequently needed rest stops where others helped him stretch his muscles. He also wore a special harness to dis disperse Brandon's weight more evenly. Hunter says that while the harness helped with the physical discomfort, what helped him most were people along the way. If it weren't for everyone cheering and walking with us, I wouldn't have been able to do it. My legs were sore, but my friends picked me up, and I made it through. And, you know, this is a physical example about people being there to help and encourage um, Hunter carrying his brother. 57 miles he carried him, 60 pounds. That's amazing. And um, again, by his own words, he's saying he did a lot of the work, but it was the people that came alongside him. You know, people that come along, and, and as, as Christians, that's what we're called to do come alongside somebody. And sometimes we're going to help carry the load, and sometimes we're just going to be there for them. Sometimes we don't even, you know, sometimes if, if a, a friend loses a loved one, we don't need to give them all these words of wisdom. We just need to be there for them. And, 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 and God understands that, and God will give you the, the wisdom to know when to speak and what to say, and when to just stay silent and be there. In Philippians verse, uh, 4, verse 13, says, for I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. 
So again, this isn't about us being smart. Sometimes it is, it has to do with being smart too, but I mean, we, we can't just um, think it through and do the best thing. We need God's help. We need God's guidance and God's help. And, and it says, with Christ, we can do all things. And then again in Acts uh, chapter 20, verse 35. This is, um, and I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of Jesus Christ. It is more blessed to give than to receive. You know, and again, this verse is not talking, well, it is talking about money, but other things too, giving of ourselves, giving of our resources. And again, it's, I think, I'm convinced it's how God wired us. When we help somebody, I mean, VBA, we had people that were helping, you know, weeks ahead of time with construction. I mean, in fact, you know, I came in here um, last night and there was no tree houses. I almost didn't think I was in the right church. I didn't recognize the place. So we do, we, we do this, um, very involved project to, to reach out to the kids. And um, so some of it starts weeks and, and months ahead of time to, to get ready. And um, so all, you know, there's a lot of time and there's a lot of effort and there's some hot days working, you know, guys working outside and all of that's worth it when you see the result, when you see what's happening with the kids. And it somehow makes it all worthwhile when you, when you hear that 215 children accepted Christ. And yeah, exactly. And so the, the part of all that hard work and everything, it is better to give than to receive. I think God wires us that we, we feel blessed to be a blessing. And I think God said, okay, the more you can bless, the more you'll, 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 you'll be blessed. And um, in this verse, you know, Jesus himself said, it's better to give than to receive. And that, that is so against our mindset so against the way that Americans are raised you know where American is on you know look out for number one and if you get all these things and if you get more money and more jobs that's what's going to make you happy and yet you know millions of people across this world across this country are dissatisfied and discontent they have tons of money but that's just emptiness and and God is saying if you want to know about real fulfillment this is how you do it you you give and then you, and, and so and by giving, you're receiving. There's another um, parable that Jesus told, and that's about the, uh, the sheep and the goats. And I don't have the verses up there, this, um, but I just want to go through this quickly. This, again, Jesus told stories like this so people could better understand, so people could better relate. And um, this one comes from Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. And again, I'm going to read through and then we'll talk a little bit about it. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came and visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? 
or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothed you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you do for the least of one of these my brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me. You are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. It's a serious message from God. So again, this is, these are God's words to us. This is what he's telling us. It's um, sometimes we do things and we do them for, um, for, for recognition, for uh, praise. And you know, Jesus wants us to do things um, so that we're do only the Heavenly Father sees. You know, so that it's, that it's a humbling thing, and it's a thing that it's kind of like a between uh, between me and God. You know, I want do, if I want to help these people, uh, I don't want, need to broadcast it and make a big deal out of it, and kind of um, like the Pharisees want to get all the attention. God's calling us to do these things quietly, and, and and part of our everyday life. And you know, it's clear that God takes this seriously. It's like if you didn't do this, if you didn't. If you didn't do that to any of the least of these, meaning the, the unfriendlies among us, the people that make us get outside our comfort zone, if we can't help them, well, you're not helping God, and we're not fulfilling the calling that he's called us to do. God puts some of this into perspective in, in his word also. In Mark chapter 32, verse, uh, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 9, verse 32 to 35, Again, this is not in, and it won't be in the overheads, but it's important uh, verse that I added on. It says, but they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, they asked him, again, this is Jesus, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Again, God's stuff is so diametrically opposed to our worldly view, especially our American worldly view. You know, if you want to be strong, you need to be weak. If you want to be rich, you need to be poor. If you want to be greatest, you need to be the least and servant of all. You know, God has a, a calling, a clear calling for us about servanthood and what are we going to do with that and you know some of that is, is kind of like um, I, or I liken it to being like soldiers you know if, if, if we're all soldiers in God's army then this is headquarters you know we come here to get our marching orders and so what does God what, what, what you know 
if, if soldiers are involved in a battle, um, they don't just you know, say, okay, hey, listen, we got an enemy um, out there, we're gonna go fight them. All right, go. No, they, they wouldn't be successful. They need to have a plan. And so they need to come together and share that plan. And so from, from the higher on up, from the general all the way on down, all the soldiers get the message, this is the way we're gonna do it. This is the way we're gonna orchestrate it. And, um, and, and like soldiers, we are in this for the fight of our lives. You know, you know trust me, there's, a, there's an enemy out there. There's a real enemy out there that wants to stop everything that we are trying to do. All the things that we're trying to do of God, he's trying to unravel. He's trying to stop us. He's trying to discourage us before we even get started. He's trying to tell you, no, you can't do that. Are you kidding me? No, that, that, no don't do that. That's not for you. I mean, you know, leave that to the priests. Leave that to the pastors. Leave that to the missionaries to take care of that. You know, these are the things that the enemy of our soul whispers in our ears and tries to discourage us. But, but God is clearly calling us to, to help others, to reach out to others. And so, you know, we've got a battle plan. We've got, a, um, we've got our marching orders. And we can either say, yeah, we're going to go forward with that. Or we could say, you know what, I'm, I'm sitting this one out. You know, this, I, this sounds like too much work. I'm, I'm taking a break. You guys go out and, and, and fight the battle. And if there's 50,000 soldiers and one guy s sits out, is that going to make a difference? Probably not. Does God need us to do what he wants? Absolutely. Will he do it if we don't? But th there's needy people out there. When, and we look in God's word and he fed the 5,000. He could do that now. He could. And he is through you. He's doing it a different way now. He's saying, instead of me just doing it, making it easy for everybody, I want you guys to be my hands and feet. You have an opportunity. Again, in Galatians, we were talking about free choice. You have freedom. You can walk out of here and say, that eh, was a nice message. Boy, I hope somebody does some of that stuff. Or you can say, yeah, God, you're speaking not only to Charlie, because he's convicted in this, but you're speaking to me too. I need to do something. I need to get outside my comfort zone and, and do some of what God's called me to do. You know, one of the songs that we played this morning was called the Desert Song. And at the very end of the Desert Song is some, um, some words that, that go along with this. And I just want to um, quote from that song. It says, this is my prayer in the harvest when favor and providence flow. I know I am filled to be emptied again. The seed I received, I will sow. So... Again, we, we come here, this is our HQ. This is where we get our marching orders from God's word. But then we get the seed. You know, we're like a conduit. You know, we're, we're, not just, we're not just coming to church and say, God, what's in it for me? Can you bless me today? Man, God, I need a better job. I need some more money. I need a, um, uh, I'm, I, my back doesn't feel well. You know, we're, we're, how, how many of your prayers, that's probably a reflection of where you are. How many of your prayers are related to what you want and what's best for you? And don't get me wrong, those things are good. God wants to bless his children. But, but there's another side of that, too, where God wants us to be instruments that he can use. He wants us to be his hands and feet. So we're a conduit, and we get the seed here, and, and we want to go out and, and spread the seed. And the seed isn't just the good word, though that's part of it. It's the good deeds. It's the helping others and bringing other people into the kingdom and helping other people because we're called to help them and for no other reason. So... There are a lot of things, and, and as I was doing some, some kind of investigating research on this, there are a lot of things, you know, each of us has 24 hours, and you're like, well, I'm too busy. I can't do that. You know, if, if you're too, too busy, 
Uh, with other things, you, you, you are too busy. You need to reprioritize. Um, I know, there, you know, myself, there's, there's different things that I get involved in, like Facebook. Just, you know, spend some time looking on Facebook. And, and the reason I initially got involved in Facebook was because my kids did. You know, when my kids were older, um, you know, they, when I was growing up, if you went to the beach or something, took some pictures, you got them developed, and then like two weeks later, hey, look at these pictures at the beach. Well, I, I don't think there's any young people that even know how to develop pictures anymore. So everything goes on Facebook. So if I want to see, hey, how my kids, you know, before my kids are married now, if I want to see, hey, what's going on in their lives, I can go on Facebook and I see the pictures. And it's like, oh, this is cool, you know? This is interesting. And so, and so it's a way for me to stay connected with them, and, and that's important. But like anything else, it can take too much of our time. You know, there's, there's Facebook, there's Pokemon Go, and, and, um, and, and, and people get, you know, absorbed in this and take, takes a lot of time. And in fact, I was just sharing with Kyle, uh, we were talking just before the service this morning, and I was like, I, I read this article about um, two schools of thought. There was uh, George Orwell wrote this book called 1984, and he wrote it decades before 1984. But what he was talking about in 1984 was Big Brother, you know, the government watching us and, um, and controlling everything and giving us information that we wanted or, or I'm sorry, giving, it, not, giving us information that they wanted us to hear, but not everything. They would withhold stuff, and they would basically control the people by controlling the information. And then there's another guy that wrote a book, I think his name was Huxley, and he talked about getting so much information that we, we were overloaded with information, a lot of it's trivial, and so because there's so much trivial stuff, the important stuff gets lost in that. So don't let the important stuff that God's calling us to do get lost. In, the, in, in all the stuff that we're doing. And, and, and so there are other things, there's you know, clash of clans, there's all these uh, things that take our time. And, and God is saying, what are you leaving for me? You know, our, when it comes time to the, like the collection plate, I'm not talking about the money side right now, I'm talking about your time. God is giving every one of you 24 hours. Are you like the Pharisees, the rich people giving from your excess? Like, hey God, I got some crumbs, here you go. Or are you saying, like the widow, who only put in the two coins, I'm, I'm giving sacrificially. So that's a decision each of us has to make. And don't try to do it in your own strength. Spend time praying about how God w wants to use you, because I know he wants to use you. And again, he, he can feed, miraculously feed everybody on the planet. He can clothe everybody on the planet. He can do that. But he's chosen to give you an opportunity to be a part of that and to be the hands and feet of Christ. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, God, for what you've called us to. God, these are your words. God, these are not necessarily easy words, but um, you've called us each day to pick up our cross to follow after you. You called us to make sacrifices and to love sacrificially. So Father, I just pray for myself and everyone here, God, that you would um, fill us with the things that, that we need, with the strength, with the grace, with the uh, uh, direction that we need to be your hands and feet. God, give us eyes to see the needy as we go out there this week. Give us compassion stirred in our hearts, God, that when we see people that are in need, and they won't always be obvious, God, that we will, um, you will give us your eyes to see and your, your compassion to make a difference. God, use us in any way that you see fit to not only help them, 
but draw them into your kingdom and help us um, by your grace to be more Christ-like. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you're a first-time guest with us, uh, again, thank you for coming. There's a connection desk in the back. You can pick up a little gift we got there for you. If you need prayer, if you've never prayed to receive Christ before and would like to do that, we're going to have some people up here that are going to pray with you and help meet those needs. Um, but I encourage you as you go out there today to um, be the hands and feet of God. Thank you.